0: E. Welcome to Resilient Schools. Today, I am honored and excited to have Dr. Erica Garcia-Niles on the program. She is a principal out in Missouri. And Erica, welcome to Resilient Schools.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, I'm grateful to have you here. Now, one of the things that is really Exciting about you is that you are a principal in the district where you grew up and a principal where your family, your kids, go to school right now. Can you tell us a little bit about what was scary about that and what you love about it now?
1: Absolutely. Um, so, when I, I went to the district in which I, I'm, I am currently working, And I grew up here and then I wanted to send my kids here because I had a great experience. I wanted them to have a great experience. And then it came time to become a principal and I applied and I was a little hesitant because sometimes when you see behind the scenes, you don't necessarily want to um, go back to outside of the curtain, if you will, and so I um, I was nervous that I worked at an ice cream shop when I was 16, and I will say that I never wanted to eat at that ice cream shop because I <laughs> knew exactly what happened, but one of the things that is so reassuring is the fact that I, I got to see behind the curtain at my current district, and it's actually better than Even the experiences I've had and the experiences I've had with my kids, it has exceeded my expectations. Everything is done so thoughtfully and everybody is just very child-centered. So it was really actually incredibly exciting to feel like this is my home.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. And seeing what goes on behind the curtain can sometimes be scary and shocking, but in your situation, it's been great. And what is it that has made it so great that you have seen that stands out as like, this is how school should be run?
1: I think it's just a focus on people. Um, you know, I think there's times in which we can get really focused on programs or the stuff. And I feel like in terms of what this district does a little bit differently is they really focus on the who and not necessarily the what. And I feel like you feel it in everything. Um, they have a very, very heavy um, focus on social emotional learning. And that was happening long before the pandemic. But even when the pandemic happened, they knew that they had to had to shift some of their resources and, and even, you know, puff that up a little bit more. They're very proactive in so many ways. They create these amazing systems that just make me be able to do what I love doing, which is spend my time with people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people is, is really the whole purpose of what we do in education, but it's easy to get lost in that and think that education is really about something else like grades or or test scores or whatever the case may be how do you keep your focus on people specifically
1: so somebody actually said on twitter one time they said people by day paperwork by night and that resonated with me a lot um, because there's a lot of times where i work really late and i am doing a lot of paperwork but if that means that I'm spending time building relationships and building trust, that's the most important thing to me. I put out a tweet not that long ago and Edutopia ended up um, making a little card about it and it just talked about my focusing on people. And I was so disheartened that so many people were saying, yeah, that won't last or "You know, that, you know that, that'll, that'll go away in a year. And it kind of broke my heart a little bit because I feel like if this job ever becomes not about people for me, then it's time for me to to leave, and um, I say that because I I think people are what makes a school a school. Without them, they are, you know we just have a building. So I will say that I really want to make sure that I'm checking myself along the way to make sure that my focus stays where it needs to be, which is in, with people. You know, right now, obviously my t- my being a principal, my focus is on teachers. You know, who are focusing on kids but ultimately there's the community as well and making sure every single person feels that sense of belonging that they so deserve that not everybody always has without having to compromise who they are.
0: Yeah, I would say that as I grew in my leadership development, the focus on people only became more intense. So uh, it is unfortunate that people say things like that will go away, but if you desire to be a transformative principal and are a transformative principle, you know that the focus on people just gets bigger and bigger as time goes on. Because if it, if it goes away, then what's the point? Why are you still there? It doesn't make any sense, right?
1: Yeah, and I feel like, you know, when I think about why I'm so focused on people, I think my, my longevity and education, this is my 23rd year, but it's my first year as an administrator. And I have been in a variety of different roles, be an elementary teacher, middle school teacher, instructional coach, specialist, I've had a lot of those different roles that have given me the ability to kind of put my, you know, step into other people's shoes, if you will. And I think from that perspective, I know how important it is to make sure that we're giving people autonomy and a voice and, uh, you know, just a say in decisions, especially the decisions that we're going to be expecting them to carry out. I think some people forget that, but that is really one way that you can really, um, you know, center people is to make sure that they're the center of the decisions that you make.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, we do have some negative Nellies out in the world who say those kinds of things, those kinds of desires and those good thoughts and good plans will go by the wayside as time goes on that you'll become jaded. And that happens with teachers also, the same kind of thing. Why do you think it is that in our in our education system, we're so eager to to chop off those who are not like us or who still have a positive outlook. It seems like we're so willing and ready to cut down those people. Why do you think that is?
1: I feel like sometimes it's not necessarily having who you need and not making the move you need, you know, and it, it's a hard thing to do, but A lot of it is surrounding yourself with the right people and we get complacent and we get comfortable and then we stay in a place in which doesn't necessarily match our vision and mission, or sometimes we even forget to shift our vision and mission with who we are now versus who we were. So I think part of it is, you know, sometimes you have to get yourself a little bit uncomfortable in order to really make change and to recalibrate yourself um, into, you know, a new a new place. That's hard. I know it's hard. You know, I've done it a couple times, but every single time I've done it, I've grown uh, tremendously. I'm so grateful for for all of my experiences. Some better than others. Some taught me mm-hmm. who I wanted to be, and some taught me who I did not want to be. But ultimately, you know, kind of making myself uncomfortable for the sake of bettering myself for people and for kids is what keeps me positive. It keeps me going. I think you know we have to remember that just because you know, we're comfortable doesn't necessarily mean we're in the right place.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I want to stay on this topic for just a second because there's, I talk to a lot of principals and, and, and a lot of teachers, and sometimes people are in a place where they know their, their values and vision for what the school can be does not align with others, but they're afraid to leave where they're currently at and you had hinted at, and I have certainly experienced that every time I have left somewhere where I knew our values didn't align, I've found someplace better and it was much, life was way better because our values were aligned. So if if you were talking to someone who was afraid to make a leap to go somewhere else because where they were at wasn't aligning with their values, what kind of encouragement would you give them?
1: So advice that was given to me once was um, leave before you're ready. And I loved that advice because I think then you're really making a decision about leaving for something new, something that you want to do as opposed to, you know, just leaving because you have to. So I like that advice. I will also say that it's that idea of really making sure when we're taking that next step that it's not just about finding the next thing, but finding the right thing. And so making sure that you know, we are interviewing, yes, but also are we interviewing them to make sure that where we're going is you know, who we wanna be surrounded by and who we want to be surrounded with. Um, I think that that's really important. You gotta do your research too, um, in terms of, of taking the next step grass isn't always greener, we all know that, but also when you really take time to stop and listen to people and ask the right questions, you get the right information.
0: Yeah, th- those are both really good pieces of advice. Um, and I'm glad you, you brought those up. Now let's change it a little bit and say that you are, you have a teacher in your school and you see that her values are not aligned with your values, that her vision for the school is not what your vision is. How do you communicate that to her recognizing that people are so important that she's not in the right place and she needs to move on. That's a much different conversation. How would you have that conversation with someone?
1: So I do think that a lot of, um, I think everybody's coachable. I think everybody can grow and I think everybody can shift. And I think it's really important to not have everybody be the same kind of person. Mm -hmm. With that being said, you know, we want different perspectives, we want different voices, but if what we're doing is counterproductive, you know, to what we're trying to do, I think it's really important to use coaching to help, you know, get them to reflect on on themselves and to think introspectively about who they are and whether or not this is the right place. Um, You know, I I would ask questions of them, you know, and kind of, you know, really kind of push those questions or, you know. and use that that coaching model of, to get them to really reflect. Like, is this? It doesn't matter if I think it's the right place for you or not. What matters is this is where we're going. This, these are our non-negotiables. You know, can can you get on board with that? And you know, if so, what does that look like? And how can I help you? You know, kind of kind of questions to get them to to own it a little bit. Um, I think that that's really important. I think that. Um, one of the things I think we get hung up on sometimes when we're looking at vision or, or we're looking at aligning our values is we can get really hung up on the things in which we don't believe, like, oh, I, you know, like I don't do project-based learning or, you know, like I don't, I don't think learning should be hands-on. And I think we can get stuck, stuck in a rut. So I think it's really important for us to instead of focusing on what we don't want to do or what we don't want to become, is to shift that to who do we want to be and what will it look like when we get there and and really making it about the who we can be who we want to be as opposed to what don't we want to do or what don't we want to be i do feel like we get stuck there
0: yeah we definitely do and it's it's easy to get stuck there because we may think you don't believe or do this therefore we can't be a match or something like that right and and that's simplifying it a little bit too much and making it impossible for you to do anything but focus on the negative. Um, I think that your advice in that to that question was really good. I would add just a couple things. When when somebody is clear that they're not willing to get on board with things, then it's vital to have that conversation with them and say, maybe this isn't the right place for you then. If this is what you want to do, um, maybe it's worth it to go find someplace else. And, and to say that not in a, you need to leave, because you're not doing good enough. It's not that at all. It's it's about how can you be happy in a school that is focused on project based learning if you don't think you should do project based learning? You'll never be happy, will you? Of course not. And right. so being able to have that conversation and and I've I've had that conversation with teachers before and said, you know, this isn't working out for you here, but you are a great teacher, but not in this environment, not in this kind of school that we're trying to build here and and that's okay let me write you a great letter of recommendation and help you get a job where you're going to be much happier and and those are difficult conversations to have because on the one hand you kind of feel like you're giving up on someone but at the same time you're really not you're seeing the value that they have and when you actually care about people then you're having a much kinder conversation than you than you would be otherwise because you're saying this isn't going to work and it's going to require an immense amount of change that you probably don't want to do. And even after I had a conversation like that with someone, they said, Okay, I'm going to put in the work and change because I actually do want to be here. And focusing on the positive things, like you mentioned, which I think is great, the positive things that we do have in common, that's what I care enough about that I'm willing to change these other things that maybe aren't that big a deal. Maybe I'm just afraid of some kind of change. And I right. think, there, Erica, that is—that's a brilliant piece of advice to focus on the positive.
1: I will tell teachers. I think all of it involves a whole lot of trust because the thing about it is, is that we're going to burn trust down. You know, when we have those conversations, um, it, it's hard, and it does—it breaks our trust a little bit. So building that goodwill and trust is so important. I also think, in terms of um, having those conversations, I think. We have to make sure that we're continuing to center what's best for kids. You know, I, I say to my teachers a lot, there's gonna be times where I'm gonna to have to make decisions that you're not going to like, or I'm going to say things that you don't like. And while um, it's okay if you don't like them, I want you to know where they come from. And I will always, always do what's best for kids. Um, no matter what. So even when you don't like it or even when you disagree me with me, I need you to know where that comes from. And that is built by making sure that my actions are always matching my words. And that consistency is so incredibly important. Um, and and people see it and they and they pay attention and they make sure that that matches there.
0: yeah, that's that's really important. I like that a lot. So one of the other things I want to talk to you about actually came from, one of your tweets, which I didn't tell you about this before. So this is going to be a surprise. (laughs) So, You said this morning, a kid brought me a bag of M&Ms to thank me for a a time. I problem solved with her. I barely remember this event, but she said that this made her feel like she had a person. We never really know the extent of our impact. And I want you to talk about that statement a little bit more and share why that matters so much to you.
1: I think that every single child should have a trusted adult. And so one of the things that we're working really hard on within my school is that everybody should feel belonging without having to compromise who they are. Um, my sister principal made a comment one time. He said, I feel like school was made for me. And I just looked at him and I was like, I do not feel like school would be for me. <laughs> yeah. um, so we kind of talked about what that felt like, or what that was, or why that was, and and it came down to the fact that he felt very seen, and I didn't. Um, and and there's a big, you know, that's a big thing. So how do we ensure that every single child feels seen? Well, we ask them, you know, like who who in this building would you go to if you had a, a problem, and um, and For us, when we ask that question to our students, you know, 90, I think 3% said they had a trusted adult. They could name who that person was. Sometimes you're looking past that list and you're like, you see people who've identified you and you're like, huh, I never would have guessed that, Mm -hmm. you know, so then it does make you very conscientious about, you know, the relationships that you have, the impact that you have. But then also that other 7%, like that's not okay. You know, we can never, because which 7, 93% is great, but it's not for the 7% that don't have an adult. So how do we continue to build systems in which every single child feels seen for who they are? I think that is important. I have sat with kids before who've told me, like, you know, they were performing and they were like, I didn't see you, or, you know, like, I didn't see your face. and. It's those those moments where you you don't know you don't know whose face they're searching for in a crowd, but you know the fact is, is that it might be yours, and so you got to show up every single day for kids or you know for our kids. Um, and I think that that's really really important. The MMs, you know, that was just a, an example because she, what she came up with was that it was one day I helped her with a sandwich, and like it wasn't even a big deal. I remember kind of doing it, but from that moment on, like that she was one of the 7% originally that didn't have somebody and now she does. And so that idea of being able to have the little, like these, this little silly thing, make that much of an impact, that's, that's huge, you know? So I feel like, um, I feel like we just don't know. And we have to make sure as the adults in the building that we're doing whatever we can to get to that 100% So that every single student feels like the school, whatever school it is, is the school for them, that this school was designed for them. And I think as adults, we have a really powerful role. And I think we have to really be monitoring that regularly in terms of making sure that every person has a person, every kid has a person. Also, every teacher needs a person as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, In episode 457 of this podcast with Eric McKelkey, he talked about how they have that as one of their goals. And then they measure it by asking the kids if the kids know who their person is. Because it's all well and good if the adults feel like they have someone. But if the kids don't feel like they do, then you're missing the point, right? And and you're not getting there. So um, he asked the teachers at first, and they said that only that they thought like 97% had it. And when he asked the kids, the kids said only th- like 35% had an adult. So that disparity of how many actually did versus how many they thought did was really impactful. And those kids saw that it was not not what they – the teacher saw that it was not what they thought it was. So then they continued doing that. And just recently they got up to like 97% where the kids identified. But what you said about the other 3%, for those kids, they don't have an adult and they still need one because if they have one, then they do feel like school is made for them. And that really does go a long way to improving things. Um, one other question that I have in here, um, in my notes, I have um, segregation for special ed as a note, but I didn't write a question or anything around that. Do you have any comments on that? Interesting.
1: Um, huh. Do I have any comments about segregation for special ed?
0: Yeah. So I took it down as a note from something you posted or something you said somewhere. And if we don't, I'll just delete this part out. But <laughs> for some reason, I thought I should ask you about that. But I didn't I didn't take very good notes, obviously.
1: Well, I mean, in terms of what you know what I think, I mean, I've been in school. So in, in my particular district, uh, special education is actually um its own entity, they're not, um, they're not necessarily um, employed by the school district, they are, they're a separate entity. And then you have the Parkway School District. Um, so we have this and we have that. And this is, I will say the first school that I've ever been in where it really feels like these are our kids. And that, you know, like when we're looking at it, it doesn't feel like, oh, you know, this child is, you know, getting special education. So we, as a general education system, we don't have to do anything for this particular kid. I think we really take a whole child approach and that has made a huge difference. I feel like um, I've been in systems where there does feel like there's segregation or there does feel like there's a separation and you feel like, oh, well, this kid has, you know, an IEP in reading. So we're not gonna service this particular student in reading, but if we're looking at it from the perspective of, you know, this kid has a goal in fluency, but they're still struggling with comprehension, then the whole child perspective tells us that we also need to make sure that we're providing comprehension. And that part of that is just making sure that we're looking at every single kid and really, thinking about them in terms of accurate and precise stories, as opposed to monolithic thinking in terms of, of kids. And that doesn't just you know, go to special ed, that goes towards you know, equity, you know, the opportunity gap, all of those things. Um, they all come down to who are the kids in front of me? What are the accurate and precise stories? You know, who are they from an environmental perspective, learner-specific instructional perspective and how do we make sure that we have the the whole story and not just the story that's filled with our own bias
0: yeah very good well i'm glad that i brought that up then i think that's so important i'm glad you you mentioned that the last question that i have for you today is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you
1: Um, Check in on your teachers. Um, You know, I I do a check in every week with my teachers on Sundays. um, And I just ask them, how are you feeling going into the week? You know, what do you need in order to have a more successful week? And um, is there anything that you want me to know? And I send that out on Sundays. And it is the best thing that I do. I get so much information and feedback. And, you know. I feel like it allows me to be really proactive as opposed to reactive in terms of what my teachers need. Um, and I feel like there are times in which they've you know, given information on that that helps me just do the things that help them feel seen. For example, you know, if I have a teacher who's having a really hard week, I, you know, we've had a lot of, you know, obviously illness and just different things. But you know, if I have a teacher who's having a really hard week, I can go, I can go cover their class for an hour and give them a little bit of an extra plan time because I know that it's a hard week. And I know that this is a time in which it will be meaningful to them. You know, sometimes it's really just, you know, putting a cookie in someone's box, you know, and saying, you know, like, hey, thinking about you. Um, Other times it's, you know, making sure that I can, you know, check in on a family member of, of a teacher. I think we have to make sure that we're taking care of the adults in the buildings so that they can take care of kids. And that check-in is just something I do that's so super quick on Sunday. I usually send it with like a really quick, like, I hope you had a great weekend. Like, here's an article I read or here's something I've been thinking about. And, you know, here's the check-in. Um, I've gotten a lot of positive um, feedback about that. It will be interesting to see, we did begin of the year surveys. Um, it will be interesting to see how my culture and climate survey comes back and what, you know, what we've changed and what things that I, you know, like really kind of resonated because I'm very different than the principal before me. Um, she, she was amazing. We're just very different people. So um, in terms of that, it will be interesting to see if that's something in which they they love and they want to continue. But I do feel like, from the perspective of being a leader, has been really powerful.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's very good. I think that's a great, um, great example of ways of a way to to help. That's very good. Um, thank you for being part of Transformative Principle today. If you would like to follow Erica on Twitter, she is at FlyingMonkey13. And uh, thank you, Erica, again for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE.